Just welcome you this morning. It's so good to see um, so many visitors with you, us today. So glad you're here. Um, also, I want to wish Sissy Brown a happy 39th birthday. <laughs> no, she's 50. And um, Sissy's very special to us. And we want to welcome back Sandy Reardon. She's been out quite a while with her surgery and so glad to have her back. Why don't you turn in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. We'll read this, not right now, just in a minute. In fact, we'll read, um, in just a couple of minutes, we'll read the passage as we go through it. But Christ is risen. You know, I know it's true. I've been to the tomb, and it's empty. It's empty. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the heart and soul of the gospel message, which means good news. The Apostle Paul speaks of this good news, this gospel, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, when he writes these words, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance. That's what Paul's saying. This is so important. Number one importance. What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to to the scriptures. You know, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no good news. Nada. No good news at all. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what makes the good news good news, the greatest news of all. However, the first news of Easter was not good news at all. No, it wasn't good news when Mary Magdalene announced to Peter and John that the body of Jesus was missing, probably stolen. It was horrible news to them. I want you to imagine the shock that it was to these two disciples who were so close to Jesus after all they had already gone through to hear that the body of Jesus was missing from the tomb. I'm sure the two disciples thought, well, they killed him and now they've desecrated his body. But it was all fake news. It was fake news. You know, there are two scenes in this wonderful resurrection story that we see here in John's Gospel. I want us to read together verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 20. Chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, no doubt that is the apostle John who wrote this letter, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going and 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 they were going towards the tomb both of them were running together but the other disciple outran peter and reached the tomb first 
And stooping in to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Now I want you to just picture this scene there in Jerusalem, outside the Damascus Gate in Jerusalem, at the foot of a hill shaped like a skull. There's a beautiful garden. And in that garden, there's a tomb called the Garden Tomb. I've been there, I've been there, and it is a beautiful spot. Now some believe that that is the tomb where our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was buried. Tradition, however, says that the actual tomb of Jesus is under the roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. Well, nobody can really know for sure, and most likely the Church of the Holy Sepulcher is the actual location of the tomb of Jesus. But the garden tomb, the garden tomb beautifully pictures the scene before us in John's Gospel. Mary Magdalene and some of the other women went to the tomb very early Sunday morning, probably 5.30, 6 o'clock before we came over here for the sunrise service, I promise you that. They came to finish the preparation uh, of Jesus for burial. If you remember, um, Jesus um, died at 3 o'clock. The Sabbath began at 6 o'clock. They didn't have much time to get Jesus off the cross. Imagine uh, Joseph of Arimathea had to get all the linen together, the spices and all like that. He had to go to Pilate to request the body of Jesus. It took some time. And they had to get the body of Jesus in the tomb before the Sabbath began at 6 o'clock. So they did not finish the preparation. So these women were going to the tomb to finish the preparation for the burial of Jesus. Well, when they got there, as the sun was rising, they saw a great stone blocking the entrance of the tomb had been pushed back. And Mary assumed, and I'm sure that you would have too, that the body had been taken. She left the other women there at the tomb and ran as fast as she could to tell Peter and John. The other gospel accounts tell us that the other women stayed at the tomb. Two angels appeared to them who told them that Jesus had risen. Their message was this, He is not here, for He has risen as He said. And that's so important that we understand that last phrase, as He said, because Jesus predicted His death and His resurrection. Well, when Mary arrived at Peter and John's house, she told them that the body of Jesus had been taken. Well, hearing that news, Peter and John immediately left for the tomb, running through the streets of Jerusalem, through the Damascus Gate, finally to the sepulcher. John was the youngest of the two. He outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he looked into the tomb, but did not go in. But as he looked into the tomb, 
He saw the burial cloths still lying on the rock shelf where the body of Jesus had lain. Finally, Peter arrived at the tomb. And I'm sure it was he was huffing and puffing out of breath. And he immediately went into the tomb. Once inside, Peter saw what John had seen. And this is so important for us to understand. He saw the linen cloths lying exactly where the body of Jesus had lain. He saw the linen napkin which was on the head, had been on the head of Jesus. It was neatly folded and lying at another place. Now at this point, John entered the tomb. And when he saw the grave clothes, the scriptures say he believed. Now the question is, believed what? Did he believe Mary's report that the body of Jesus had been taken, stolen? No. Again, that was fake news, wasn't it? He believed Jesus was alive. And Mark tells us in verse 9 that up to this time, they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. But now, seeing the evidence of the resurrection, he put all these things together, including scripture, and he believed. There was something about seeing the grave close that convinced him that Jesus had risen. What did he see that caused him to believe? What was it about those grave clothes that convinced him that Jesus was alive? Well, the grave clothes were undisturbed. Undisturbed. They were lying in their proper place, but the body was gone. It looked like the body of Jesus just passed through the grave clothes, just passed through the grave clothes. The napkin that was on the head of Jesus had been neatly folded and put in another place. Now, had robbers taken the body of Jesus, the grave clothes would have been scattered throughout the tomb. But everything was perfectly in place, but the body of Jesus was gone. See, it all pointed to resurrection. And John believed, and so did Peter. They believed. My friend, there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for any human event in history. You know, Jesus was seen after his resurrection by a multitude of people over a period of 40 days. Now, dead men aren't seen. They're viewed. (laughs) Dead men aren't seen. They're viewed. Now, after witnessing the empty tomb, Peter and John went back to their homes, now believing that Jesus had risen. If they had believed that the body of Jesus had been stolen, no doubt they would have gone on a search to find the body. But they didn't. Content that Jesus was alive, they went home. Now after Peter and John left the tomb, Mary returned to the tomb standing outside. And this brings us to scene 2, verses 11 through 18. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? 
she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You know, what a pitiful sight we see here. Mary is standing outside the tomb of Jesus. Remember, this is Mary Magdalene, the one that Jesus just cast out, what, seven demons? And she's standing outside of the tomb, weeping, crying her eyes out, still thinking that Jesus' body had been stolen. Then she looks into the tomb, And she sees two young men who were actually angels sitting inside. One at the head where Jesus' head was and the other at the feet where Jesus' feet had laid. They were probably the same angels that appeared to the other women. They asked her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said, Because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they put him. Then Mary, sensing someone behind her. Have you ever had that feeling? I have many times. You know, you're standing here, you're looking straight ahead, and you just, you just feel like somebody's looking at you, staring at you. Well, that's how she felt. She turns around, and she sees a man standing whom she thinks is a gardener, but it's really Jesus. And he asks her the same question the angels asked. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Jesus is really saying, Mary, why in the world are you crying? This is no time for weeping. This is time for celebration. You know, I admire Mary's loyalty and love for Jesus. But she should have known, as well as the rest of the disciples, that Jesus had risen. Why? Because time after time, Jesus told his disciples, including the women that followed him, that he must suffer at the hands of wicked men, be turned over to them, and that they would kill him, but on the third day he would rise again. Well, see, Mary heard this promise of resurrection straight from the mouth of Jesus many times, but it was a promise soon forgotten. But let's don't be too hard on Mary because we're guilty of the same thing. Too often we forget God's good promises. When times are hard, when, you know, troubles come, when we go through difficult trials, it's easy to forget all the promises that God gives us. And He gives us multitude of promises right in His Word. I want to share a few with you today. 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. That's the word of Jesus. And, you know, this one little verse is full of negatives, double negatives. And it just simply means, I will never under any circumstance leave you. Then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus said, I will be with you always. Not not just sometimes. Not just in the trials of life, but also in the joys of life. I will be with you always. And then in John chapter 6, verse 37, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I love that. Jesus is saying, listen, if you come to me and trust me as your Savior and you become a member of my family, I will never, ever cast you out. I'll never kick you out of my family. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. These are the words that that the Lord Jesus spoke to the Apostle Paul when he was going through that greatest trial in his life. And he prayed three times for God to take it away. And God says, no, I'm going to teach you something through this. And Jesus spoke to him. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My friend, I want you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. No matter what you face in life, no matter what you go through in life, no matter the circumstance, no matter the trial, no matter the sorrow, God's grace is always sufficient. You know what that means? It's enough. Jesus is enough. He's not just enough for our salvation, but He's enough for our life. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all your need, all your need according to His riches and glory. Isn't that wonderful? Not just some of our needs, but all of our needs according to His riches in glory. My goodness, that's unlimited, my friend. He promises to meet all of our needs, not our wants, not our selfish desires, but He promises to meet all of our needs. And then Romans chapter 8, verse 31, If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you ever feel sometimes that everything is against you? Everybody's against you. You go to work, everybody's against you. Sometimes in our own family, everybody's against you. Listen, if God be for us, if He is on our side, who can be against us? All of these promises are given to us in the Bible, but we so often live like they are not really there. Once Martin Luther was terribly depressed for days over something that he was going through. He didn't want to eat. He couldn't sleep. He didn't even want to leave his home. Finally, wanting to snap him out of his depression, his wife Katie came downstairs dressed in mourning clothes, dressed for a funeral. He said to her, Who's dead? She replied, God is. He said, what do you mean God isn't dead? She said, well, why are you acting like it? (laughs) You know, when we forget God's promises and we fret and worry, 
we're acting like God is really dead. He's not there. Mary believed Jesus was dead because she had forgotten all of these promises that Jesus had made to her. We must never lose sight of God's good and faithful promises. Promises that give us strength to make it through the hard times of life. You know, I think about King David, and he went through times like that. You know, I love the Psalms. I, I love to read the Psalms. Especially if you're a little discouraged, it's always good to read the Psalms because it will lift your spirit. Oh, I like what David did when he was battered by trials and troubles. In Psalm 42, verse 11, he asked himself, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And he would answer his own question. He said, Hope in God. Hope in God. David has said, I'm going to hope in God's promises. I'm going to put my trust in Him and His promise. And we need to as well. Well, old Jesus had to do is speak one word to Mary to lift her out of her sorrow. He just simply spoke her name, Mary. And immediately Mary recognized His voice. It's, it's kind of like when you get a call and you hear that familiar voice of a loved one on the other end of the line. Well, she recognized his voice. And Mary fell at his feet and cried out, Rabboni, teacher! And she grabs his feet, clinging to him like she will never let go. You know, it's like she was saying, you know, I've got you back. You left me once. It's not going to happen again. <laughs> it's just not going to happen again. I've got you, and I'm not going to let go. Well, Jesus, he gently rebukes her by saying, Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Don't cling to me, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? You know, there are some who believe that Jesus is saying that he must go back to the Father before he appears to anyone else. And we know that this isn't true because he remained on earth 40 days before he ascended to heaven. And he appeared to many and many people. Just listen to this. He appeared to the women at the tomb. He appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb. He appeared to two disciples on the Emmaus Road. He appeared several times to disciples in Jerusalem. He appeared to Peter several times. He appeared to disciples at the Sea of Galilee. He appeared to over 500 at one time. He appeared to disciples on the Mount of Olives 40 days after his resurrection, and they saw him ascend to heaven out of their sight. Why does Jesus tell Mary not to cling to him? I believe what Jesus is saying to Mary is this. Mary, from now on, our relationship is going to be different than it was before. I must go back to my Father, and when I do, listen to this, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to indwell you, and I will be with you then all the time. And all the way. Then you won't have to worry about clinging to me. Because I will always be clinging to you. But now. What I want you to do. Is just go tell my disciples. That I've risen. That I'm alive. You know this is the message of Easter. Jesus is alive. 
What brought joy to the hearts of Jesus' followers is the realization that Jesus Christ is living and that He is with them and He will always be with them. And nothing has changed today. The good news of Easter is Jesus can enter your life and go with you through the trials and the joys of life. The good news is we don't have to face the pressures, the trials, the disappointments alone. The risen Christ goes with us. That is the message of Easter, and that's what a world out there needs to hear. When Jesus was on earth, he could only be with some of his people some of the time because of his incarnation. He was limited in his physical body. But now, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Jesus is with all his people all the time in all circumstances of life. He is our constant companion. He is our faithful friend. He will never leave us. He is always clinging to us. Let me ask you, my friend, are you gripped by fear? Jesus is clinging to you. Are you discouraged and depressed? Jesus is clinging to you. Are you worried and anxious? Jesus is clinging to you. The good news of Easter is that we don't have to face life alone. The risen Christ is with us all the time through the ups and the downs of life. I heard Adrian Rogers, the great preacher at Bellevue Baptist Church for many, many years. He said that Jesus didn't come to this earth, live, die, and rise again to get you out of trouble, but to get in trouble with you. Do you understand that? He came to be with us in our troubles. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is always getting into trouble with us. Wherever you go through this life, Jesus is clinging to you, and he won't let go. We sang that that beautiful hymn, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, what does it come back All fear is gone because I know He holds the future and life is worth the living just because He lives. You know, Jesus gives us a great promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. When Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. My friend, this is a promise that millions have trusted through the ages. They have asked Jesus to enter their lives, to to come in and dwell with them through life. Let me ask you, have you done that? Have you done that? You know, the good news is Jesus died for you, paid the awful penalty for your sin on Calvary's cross. He rose triumphantly from the grave. He's alive. And he's ready and able to save all those who put their trust in him. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm sure the members here have, we have a cemetery out back. You know, cemeteries aren't very popular in a lot of churches today, but I believe it has a special place in the life of the church. Because cemeteries remind us of our mortality. It reminds us that it is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. 
They also remind us that those buried out there once sat where we're sitting today and sang what we're singing today. And they've all died. And one day we will too. You know, the big question of life is what comes next? What comes next? It all depends on what you do with Jesus on this side of the grave. Well, see, the good news is Jesus lived, He died, He rose again so that we can be forgiven, that our slate could be wiped clean, that we can have a home in heaven for all eternity. And it begins the moment we believe and trust Jesus. Let me just ask you, have you trusted Christ? If not, do it today. Do it today. Let's pray together. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gospel message. We thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that He rose from the grave to secure our salvation. We thank you for that. And dear Lord, those who, those of us who have our hope in Him, we know that because He came out of that tomb one day, we will too. <laughs> we will live forever with you in heaven. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for any in here today that has never embraced this gospel, that have never trusted Christ. Lord, I pray that today will be the day that they open their heart to Him and just say, Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you came out of that grave. I want you as my Savior. Save my soul. Come into my life. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.